Good, good. How's your day been? All good? It's been spectacular. Beautiful day, Sunday, upstate New York. Uh, beautiful weather. I live on a lake. It's uh, beautiful. Fantastic. I've been, uh, been in the pottery studio making some cups and doing some loading the kiln and just uh, enjoying and uh, reflecting on another beautiful day in God's paradise. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Yeah. It, um, I wish my day um, was as interesting as that. I've had a lazy day today, which doesn't happen very often. It, um, In fact, I can't remember the last time that I, that I had time to have one. But uh, yeah, today is the first day that I've managed to um, kick up, feet up, catch up with my little girl. We've uh, been watching some some movies. Nice. Um, yeah, enjoying the sun, enjoying the weather, and now here I am. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a quiet day for me. It doesn't happen very often. It's the first day that I've managed to have uh, a slight lie-in uh, since I can remember, which, um, yeah. I've got some time. I spent some time visiting my brother, visiting from California, and I see him a couple times a year. It's great to visit. And I actually got in a 10-minute nap, which that was good, too. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Those, uh, those days of, uh, yeah, I've gotten away from you, unfortunately, the, the, the quick naps. There used to be a time where um, I was working three jobs. So I was working as a purchasing manager for an electrical engineering company, Um until uh, 4.30 p.m., then I would deliver for um, an Indian takeaway from 6 till midnight. And then I would drive for the airport transfer company, which I owned at the time, between midnight and sort of 8 a.m. the next day where I would go into work. So my uh, my days were quite often spent working 24 to 48 hours, uh, and I would catch up on sleep with little short naps during breaks and things, and that's what powered me through. But that was also um, the beginning of, of my demise, uh, if you like, because that's where I began eating lots of junk food. Because I was so busy, I was consuming lots of energy drinks uh, up to the equivalent of like 15 Red Bull per day. Oh, man. Uh, Destruction. Destruction. Yeah. Every opportunity was fast food from, you know, McDonald's takeaway or, and because I delivered for the Indian takeaway, I had a free meal every night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it, um, which I would take with me, obviously, because I was leaving there to, to drive to the airport, but I would eat that, you know, providing the vehicle was empty. Um, I'd be munching on this on, on, on the way to, to, to the airport. And that, that was my life. I was, yeah, I spent uh, a few years of my life consuming nothing but rubbish, and it doubled my body weight. Um, yeah. And then I decided to make uh, healthy changes, quote unquote, uh, where I was eating my whole grains. I was avoiding my saturated fats. I was avoiding my salt. Um, and I gained even more weight, and I became even more unhealthy. So, yeah, that, that's we what label it. We yeah. label it, all of it. Even the word junk food is not true. Even the word healthy and unhealthy is not true. We're just labeling things incorrectly. That's the problem. Yeah. Because you can even eat McDonald's and find a healthy way to do it, believe it or not. Yeah, for sure. But it's hard for people to believe that. Yeah. You know, we've been trained and uh, we label. And you're right. You you have to suffer and struggle in order to find the successes of life. That's the most important thing, I find. I agree. And I genuinely believe that... I would not be doing what I do today if it was not for uh, those unfortunate events. And I think if I had had an easier ride, then I wouldn't have made those dietary changes. I wouldn't have 
mm-hmm. done all the research and retrained as a nutritionist. So they're, they're actually fortunate events. Exactly. Yeah. They're fortunate events. For sure. I look at everything as a fortunate event because God creates it all. And God knows for all of us. And if we could look at yesterday with joy and amazing gratitude for it all, that's the real game changer, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I had a, uh, an interesting conversation actually with um, two gentlemen uh, which popped in to see me yesterday. Um, they had only recently, they've been living a ketogenic lifestyle. They live pretty close to me, but they were unfamiliar with myself and what I do until they came across um, an interview that I did recently on, on YouTube. And that brought them into my high street shop where I was, I was working that day. It was on Saturday. I don't work. I work upstairs quite often, um, mm-hmm. podcasting and, and, and consulting, et cetera. But I was downstairs working shop. So I was on the counter. Um, so these gentlemen came in and we had the conversation about longevity and how, um, there was a tribe of uh, people. I think they, they said it was in Africa where they were walking up the mountain, you know, in their, um, uh, I think this this couple were 104 or something in excess of 100 years old, walking up the mountain with their kids as if they were 50 or 60, and they looked 50 or 60. Yeah. And which the, 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 that conversation came from the fact we were speaking about how long we believe the human body is capable of living, and that we look at life, you know, we look at 50 and 60 as being old. But it isn't. You know, now that I'm I'm nearly there, it's like, well, no, I'm the healthiest and fittest that I've ever been. Um, and I was once uh, genuinely believed I was not going to make my 30th birthday. And now if I do not make 120, I will genuinely be disappointed. Um, but we were debating the, the question, you know, whether the human body has the ability to live for an incredibly long time, a lot longer than we are, that we're led to believe. Um, does the negative impact of our life up until now almost take it off the end of our life in this you know despite of any changes we make now or is the human body um such a a fantastic machine does it have the ability that when you make those and implement those changes can we um almost mitigate those uh those, those negative years that we put in have we taken x amount of years off the end of our life or can we can we change that have you have you got an opinion on that because i've got an opinion but yeah. it's purely based on hypothesis there's no scientific backing behind it everything we talk about is hypothesis and theory we do studies to give us more information to support the hypothesis or theory but it never proves it it just takes it closer and closer so how long can we live i have no idea i don't do what i do in order to live longer i do what i do to live a healthier more vibrant life because that's really it none of us know how long we're going to live we have never proven that carnivore ketovore is going to make you live longer fasting i think is good but you know that's a hard one can i can i do something and test you in some way and say ah you're going to live for this amount of years we just do not even know that idea. Now, genetically, my grandparents lived to 104, to 94, my parents, and so we have longevity in our family. So maybe our DNA is geared for an environment that even is harsh because they lived harsh lives and they still live a long time, but they suffered. They had Alzheimer's, dementia, and many other diseases. So I 
do agree with you that there are things that we do in our earlier lives that may be too much damage and will not allow us to live longer. Uh, it cuts our lives shorter, cancers, hypertension, diabetes, um, all the organ disorders, which ultimately are the same causes, which is basically plant-based, protein-based, lean meat diets and eating like a grazing animal, which we're not. But I think our attitude of positivity, and I would say your attitude, both your attitudes um, have really gone a long way to kind of um, keeping you moving and doing hard things. And I would say that faith and positivity is one of the things that any and all of us can 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 do because even a vegan vegetarian Mediterraneans can live a long time when they have a better attitude of life. And so I think keto and carnivore uh, are are really great lifestyles, but um, how long is the, you know, I, I read books where people say, you know, we can live forever and, you know, that just is not possible because all organisms are, are exposed to radiation and all sorts of, of uh, damage to our DNA uh, and our mitochondria and everything. So there is no organism that lives forever. And uh, what's our lifespan based on how we're built and how this organism is built. Uh, but um, I think that, you know, I, I did things in my youth. Uh, I used to use marijuana very infrequently, but I used it. I used to smoke on this as a teenager on the side of the, you know, the corner. And uh, through my years, I actually drank too much alcohol. I never an alcoholic, but I, you know, I had one or two drinks, you know, nearly every night. And uh, I can't even, you know, I take one or two sips and I say, thank you very much. And I put it down, but that's rare. And um, so those are the things that I think will get you more than anything. And excessive exercise is another one that I think is not a good lifestyle, by the way, because uh, too many people think, ah, I'm going to run a bunch of marathons and all this. And if you look at most athletes, they do not, they do not uh, live longer and their careers are generally cut short. And if you look at people like my parents, they never exercised. My grandparents, they never exercised. Um, they lived a lot, a lot longer. So I think less, but being active like the the grand the, the the parents in the 104 the grandparents and i'm almost 70 i'm 68 nearly i've never felt better in my life uh the disorders that i suffered from for years arthritis psoriasis migraines kidney stones bowel bleeding hemorrhoids even prostatic enlargement where i could barely pee are all gone and so I would say the the carnivore lifestyle is the top of the line. Keto is good, but, you know, I don't know what keto is. Keto is a labeled word, but carnivore, you know what a carnivore is. They, we know what they eat. They don't eat fruits or honey of any significance. They eat fatty meat. And I emphasize fat, so that's it. But um, to keep the answer short and sweet, um, I think all the things that we can do in the keto carnivore fasting and faith will help you live a more vibrant life. And it might get you longer. Yeah, I think that was a Richard Smith answer. Steve, what do you think? The, sh the short version. <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, just, just to add to, to a couple of those points. I mean, it, um, you know, we, we look at keto and carnivore as being two different things, but being carnivore is a subsection of being ketogenic, isn't it? It's a ketogenic state. It's just a different version of, of living that ketogenic type lifestyle. And as you say, it's, it's a label. Stephen and I quite often come back to the fact that it's um, it's almost like a sliding scale or a transition from from one end to the other. Um, 
you know, the introduction uh, to low carb and then maybe dirty keto, standard keto, clean, and then, you know, uh, a, a carnivore type lifestyle, more animal based. And then you become more of a strict carnivore, um, which almost seems to be these incremental changes, which I think, yeah. um, you know, most of us have sort of, it's a journey that most of us have gone down. Um, very few people, I think, wake up one day and just decide to go you know, instantly carnival, unless mm-hmm. it's through um, direction from uh, a nutritional professionist in, in, you know, in regards to improving health and well-being because of, of an illness of some description. But it, most of these changes are incremental, um, I think. But most it's um, absolutely. But, but yeah, it, um, I, I agree. I believe this is the healthiest lifestyle to live. I think this is the one that causes the, the least oxidative damage to the body. Um, we know that it increases the NAD plus to NADH ratio, which, which allows us um, long, that longevity and allows us to live longer. Um, you know, yeah, you know I, I apologize. The thing that I think we should use the word glycation, glycation. Because oxidative stress is just such a general, you must oxidize in order to be alive. You can't be alive without it. Glycation is the thing that kills us. And what most people don't know is glycation is sugars that bind to our molecules in our body and cause the damage that causes us to be sick and or die or get cancer or anything else. And something most people don't know is the metabolism of amino acids. What happens to amino acids in your body when you eat them? They become sugar. And a high-protein diet means a high-amino acid diet, which means a lot of glycation. And it's such a kind of crazy simplicity that is hard for us to understand. But keto... Again, I, I just put it in a labeled word that um, because everything you eat, which in the majority of the standard diet, even the majority of the keto diet is not high fat, but keto and paleo are actually high fat diets, not low carb diets. And so you can eat. But if you do high fat, then you're going to minimize the the. Uh, the sugars and the amino acids, in, in my opinion, which is really the most important thing to do. Well, I mean, it, that isn't true of all amino acids. You're saying that's... Uh, there are 20, 20 to 21 amino acids in the human body. Um, nine of them are essential. 13 are glucogenic. Uh, five of them are ketogenic. And the other two are both. And so the majority of amino acids you eat become sugar. Uh, which is in the liver requires insulin to convert them to fat. And so amino acids don't go to muscle and build muscle. They, they are part of the building blocks of proteins in our body, but you only have, you know, it's, but it's a, it's really a concept that I think we don't talk about in the keto carnivore world because everyone focuses on a high protein diet. But the question is, what does anyone know about protein poisoning or protein um, damage? And what happens to the metabolism of amino acids, that's really a critical thing. And also, I think the addition of fat is underestimated because yes. you need the bile to absorb the amino acids. And this is why fatty meat tends to work better, if even for bodybuilders, than lean protein, I think. Well, vegans can be bodybuilders and be strong yeah. and have big muscles. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing because – our our standard diet around the globe is a plant-based, lean meat, low-fat diet. That's the 95% nutrition around the globe. And so 
that is the killer. And if people simply up the fat significantly, 50% of the calories or more should come from fat. I usually do a one-to-one fat to everything and anything else and eat less frequently. But um, what happens to amino acids in the liver? And is a is insulin required for a, for protein consumption? Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Well, it's required for protein synthesis, isn't it? Because that's how you grow muscle. Nope, it's required... I bet, so I'm throwing some opposites at your way, and I just want you to think about them, okay? Because because um, what does a liver failure patient look like? They're sarcopenic and cachectic, mm. and they're hyperglycemic and hyperinsulinemic. So if they have amino acids and they have sugars and they have insulin, but they can't build fat and they cannot build muscle. So what if, this is the question, what if the liver, damaged liver is the cause of insulin resistance? And as your liver function drops, glucose levels and insulin levels rise until the glycation from the sugars, which come from amino acids and plant sugars, damage the liver so much, you can no longer make the, pro, the amino acids conversions and the and you can't make fat. And so you die because ultimately the fat is the only fuel for the mitochondria. I bet there's no such thing as a as a switch, a my, metabolic or, or switch. That's my bet. And and you can prove it because liver failure patients are cachectic and sarcopenic and yet they have plenty of amino acids, simple sugars, and insulin. Remember, hyper, there, there's something called um, um, uh, basically the amino acid and protein uh, neuropathy, which basically is a problem because they cannot excrete and they cannot metabolize the amino acids properly. And so, you know, the, the interesting part is all the blood flow from the GI tract goes to the liver. And the amino acids and simple sugars go to the liver and the pancreas secretes insulin to the liver. And I always ask if you look at the the anatomy, well, why is it that way? Is our story simpler than we've made it to be so complicated? I wonder. Well, this leads me to a nice question because we've got a few people asking. Well, yeah. you, were about, you were talking about a switch there, all right? Uh, so this is nice. And I apologize to people just by the way, I had a technical problem and I seem to be on twice. Hence, there was an echo. Um, and I love this name, Ghost Hikers Wanderings. Uh, and he's saying, I eat 150 grams of fat and 100 grams of protein. So we would say that's higher fat, obviously. Uh, but you're rarely in ketosis. 
if I fast to get into ketosis, what can I do to get and stay in ketosis? Not doing it for weight loss, but for brain health. Um, so, yeah, gentlemen, I mean, I've got an answer for that, but I'd, I'd like to hear from you too. Robert, Rich, yeah, I'll let Robert. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, okay. So ketosis is a fasting state. That is really it. And so we're built to fast. Now, let's just say it's not intentional because finding food is not easy. I mean, we have such an ease of finding food. And so just eat one meal a day or less and you'll likely go into ketosis and eat just fat. And I wonder what if we just ate fat and didn't eat protein or sugars, right? Would we be in ketosis? The answer is yes, we would. Because amino acids and sugars both sort of take us out of ketosis, which isn't a bad thing if it's if it's sometimes. If we're out of ketosis all the time, then that's where the damage comes because then we're being our body, our liver, and all of our cells are being constantly exposed to plant sugars and protein amino acids. But again, you can't live without eating food. Let's just keep it simple as that. And and I had a question back your way too. Maybe you can help with this. Is if you're if you're eating just fat from an animal, are you getting any proteins, amino acids, and any sugars, Richard? Am I muted there? Am I? Yeah. If you if you're just eating fat, um, is there any amino acids in fat? Uh, I'm guessing. Obviously, you know the answer to this. My thoughts would be no initially, um, because I mean I've always looked at consuming foods from natural sources as eat as in eating real food. So when we look at natural sources, an egg, for example, contains protein and fat. A piece of steak contains protein and fat. Chicken breast with the skin on is protein and fat. So if we eat foods in complex, as in as in the way that nature intended, then we are being supplied with protein and fat. But are you asking, are there amino acids in, in fat itself? Well, well, it's interesting because if you look at bears who hibernate, any animals that hibernate, and they're gestating, so they're, they're growing a baby, their baby is growing on something. The bears lose no muscle mass and no bone mass. They lose only fat. So if every cell of your body contains amino acids and simple sugars and the membranes of any of every cell of your body contain glycoproteins, they must contain the building blocks of a baby of a bear. Or any other organism. So, if fasting is such a great thing, which I agree with, uh, with uh, ghost hiker wanderings, that fasting is really critical and brain health is 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 improved by fasting. But I'm my bet is is that if you eat the fat of an animal, you're getting the fat cells, just like your fat cells contain amino acids and sugars also, which ultimately are part of how you stay healthy and well, even though you're fasting and you're worried about, well, where's my protein amino acids coming from? Because they're there in, in, in the fat cells. Again, we, we separate them um, uh, as, as um, molecules of nutrition, fatty acids, simple sugars, and amino acids. But when you eat an animal, any animal, you're getting the cell of the animal, and we look at the fat stores of an animal, 
but they're cells of fat stores. So, you know, we're so thinking about the oil or the fat, but we're forgetting about the, there's a nucleus in a fat cell. There's DNA, there's mitochondria, and and there's also amino acids and sugars, which are critical for the functioning of that cell and of that organism. So just a little sort of side note that I thought you might find interesting and that it that's why a bear or many other organisms that hibernate and gestate and nest can actually uh, grow uh, their 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 um, their next generation. Yeah. Which is fascinating. And uh, you can see my technical troubles continuing as my uh, camera is not all too focusing. But, yeah, I I just wanted to, to say about ketosis, I, I am going to say something about it because it isn't the be-all and end-all. You do not yeah. have to be in ketosis all the time. And I think that's one of the things that's sadly pushed way too much. Um but I also did an experiment myself because this is one of the things that when I was doing my personal training, uh, advanced personal training, and then I ended up training an Olympic athlete who was uh, type two, di- uh, sorry, type one diabetic. I'm just going to show you something and then uh, show you what happened after exercise. And this isn't what you're told, by the way. This is you're told a complete different story. I know uh, Rob, Robert Kilts like stories. But let me just show you. So I did a 48-hour fast, and um, hopefully you're seeing that on the screen. My glucose was 4, uh, and my ketones 2.4. All right, so don't forget we're in Britain now. So let me just uh, stop that share if I can. Yeah, and then if I go to this... So I've still fasted, all right? Remember, my glucose was four. I went out and did 300-meter sprints uh, with a little rest in between, and my glucose went up to 4.9. What you're told is if your blood glucose goes really low, then you've got to take some fast-acting carbohydrates. But what you know in practice is if you then exercise a bit more, your body will make glucose, because where else did that glucose come from? Because I didn't eat anything. I was 48 hours fast. It was four millimoles per liter. And then I went and did exercise and it was 4.9. So your body's really smart. And if you if you keep taking glucose and ketone readings and just worry about being in ketosis, you're not actually listening to the dynamics of the body. Um you do not have to be in ketosis all the time. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because I was trained and obviously licensed and insured, I was not allowed to tell the athlete that. I had to say to them, eat some fast-acting carbohydrates. Had to do that. And it was, it's very frustrating uh, when you know there's something different. So um, just, just thought I'd add that. So uh, you're being told to get into ketosis by virtually everyone online, I think, uh, if you want to lose weight, which you've mentioned in your question. But that isn't the be all and end all, honestly. It really isn't. Um, your body will decide what, what level of ketones you have and what level of glucose you have. And uh, the reason I wanted to also show that is – I was pretty fat adapted and I had a lot of ketones, but the ketones didn't go up when I did the running. It was glucose because the body decided that's what it wanted to do. So I didn't drop out of ketosis, but I'm just trying to show you how dynamic it is. I really only did, you know, maybe, uh, so I did 300 meter sprints. So you're not even talking a minute of running. (laughs) I decided to increase my glucose by nearly, uh, you know, 25%. 
Are there any other sugars circulating in our bloodstream that have critical functions? Well, glycoproteins are well, N-acetylglucosamine, there's xylose, there's mannose, there's other sugars. There are about nine sugars that are critical for glycosylation. And I'm just wondering how important glycosylation is in the muscle functioning versus direct energy function. So are there important glycoproteins that are critical for muscle function or neurotransmitters that are critical for muscle function that are something different than simply glucose being an ATP producing agent? Any thoughts on that, Richard? Muted. Muted. Can't hear you. Apologies. I was uh, yeah. I was reading the comments. I was trying to take in the comments while listening to that on the side there. But um, yeah. So sorry. What, what was that one again? Oh well. Well, there are many sugars in the human body besides glucose, and and the question is, is glycosylation, which is a the adding of a sugar to an amino acid in a protein for its function and or neurotransmitters or hormone, pre-hormones, uh, uh, molecules in our body. It, how important is that in everything we do? And I'm wondering if we're missing the point of what sugar is for. So what you're saying is that sugar is essential basically to, to maybe the building blocks of, of every protein within the body. The majority of the majority of proteins are glycosylated and glucose is not the only sugar that glycosylates a protein. So and there are over 200 diseases with glycosylation defects and glycation is the leading cause of most disease. And so we keep on focusing on the metabolic switch, the energy of sugar and or fat. But we're missing the really most important point is that sugars are for glycosylation and proteins require glycosylation or you and I would die. And so that's the part I think we're missing. And even the idea of ketosis is is can be distracting. You know, we're checking all of our glucose levels. And then the question is, well, why did your glucose level go up? And and is it, you know, for what reason is glucose even used for? And I don't think we talk enough about glycoscience and glycobiology, which I work to emphasize because we're distracted by all these numbers. How much grams of fat and protein? I actually don't even know what that answer is. You know, if you eat food, it's good for you. You must eat at least nine essential amino acids and two essential fatty acids. But there are no essential sugars at all. And and yet, you know, people live. My grandmother lived 104, and she drank. She ate a standard diet, a Mediterranean Italian descent. She um, she smoked palm oils and drank Manhattans. Um, so, you know, that's the, the confusion, all this. But we're just trying to be healthy and well. Yeah. And I think we, we do get caught up in the numbers. Um, we had this conversation last week, Stephen, in regards to, to blood test results. 
in regards to levels of testosterone and levels of cholesterol, um, ketone levels and glucose levels. Um, why have my ranges of this gone up or gone down? And I think we get caught up in the numbers way too much because when we remove these foods, the toxic foods that are causing damage, the body re- remo- uh, replaces itself to its natural physiological level. We, we become healthier and whatever ranges. So cortisol was one of the questions. So I was on with um, with Dr. Sean Baker recently uh, and we got into, into elevated cortisol on extended uh, ketogenic lifestyles. Um, and it was a topic that Dr. Chafee and I covered during the podcast that we did in response to Dr. McCullough and Dr. Georgie Dinkoff's uh, podcast talking about uh, the detrimental impacts of long, long-term ketosis. I don't know if you, if you, if you saw that one, uh, but the, the research that, you know, that, we, that we found when we, we dug into it was that there is no increase or detrimental increase in cortisol anyway. And if they were, then it is a natural physiological increase uh, that the body is designed um, to, to create. And I think we we pigeonhole ourselves into these ranges. Uh, and Stephen hit the, the nail on the head last week. Um, you know, these blood tests that were, were, were originally done, were done on people. And then suddenly this is the range. This is the normal range or the average range. But these were done on people who were sick. And we are, we are not sick people, you know, at least I believe that we are not sick people. So we can't expect to have the same blood test results as someone who is unwell. Um, but I believe that these ranges, you know, it, it, even in regards to looking at this, this keto level, I mean, it, I, I would argue, um, what, what are you classing as being ketogenic? Because the, the normal figure touted around is 0.5. I would argue that it's considerably lower. And if you are not even registering ketones to, to any degree, then that is perfectly natural. That is where your body is meant to be. Um, so I believe that we do get caught up way too much in, in the numbers and figures. Just eat intuitively. Eat when you're hungry. If you're not hungry, don't eat. Eat from natural sources um, and proteins and fats. And that, that's how I generally live my life. I don't track anything. I don't aim to get any number of protein or fat in, but I just eat to satiety and um, by by feeling. I just did a five-day fast. I checked my uh, uh, glucose levels, 52. I felt fantastic. I did my usual workout and went to work every day, got up and did my fives every day. And um, I also happened to check my um, thyroid, my um, testosterone, and my vitamin D. My vitamin D was 19, which is lower levels. It's it's lo- below normal levels. And my testosterone was at the bottom of normal levels. Um, what is that? What did, what did my brain suddenly do? It said, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now, then I look back at my last 10 years of these levels, and they were all the same place, and yet I felt great. And so I think we've developed these levels to sell drugs. that's it supplements and drugs the levels have no meaning for 99 percent of the people and then you start looking at ldl hdl cholesterol triglycerides that's another testing that i don't think we know of any any science that makes sense in in any of that my my parents I mean, that's that's akin to the blood pressure of being 120 over 80. That used to be age-related. Uh, and now that's for everybody. I mean, that's for a 19-year-old. Well, and, uh, I went yeah, for surgery on. recently. My hernia is a sorry, Stephen. But, and then they said, oh, you have hypertension. We've got to get you on drugs. We've got to get you a cardiologist. I'm saying, well, wait a minute. And so I think you're right. Something's Definitely wrong. right. 
Yeah, I mean, if you go to old textbooks, medical textbooks, before the pharmaceutical companies sponsored them, you will get age-related blood pressure. And, of course, as your arteries get less elastic, it makes total sense that the blood pressure will go up. If you've got a flexible, lovely old, you know, a flexible new hose with your water going through, the pressure is going to be less than if you've got an old uh, old hose that's all sort of stiff and uh, it's going to be higher. So, um, and I just want to make people very aware in case they got a little bit lost talking about glycans just now. Robert Kills is not talking about eating sugar. He's talking about the body processing sugar, which is very different. So don't go out and eat 19 teaspoons of sugar because you want to maximize the glycosylation. Well, no, that you will, you will glycate. So that's everyone has to understand the difference between glycation and glycosylation. Mm-hmm. And so plant plant sugars are never required in the human diet, but you must have sugar in your body. I mean, you, you will die yeah. without it, but you don't die because of no energy. You die because glycosylation. And ultimately, that's the part that we're not talking about. And so yeah, I think, I think glycan people- is a is a is a complex sugar, by the way, not a simple sugar. Mm. So if you look at the immunoglobulin glycosylation, for instance, that mediates um, antibodies. Well, that's a huge, the, huge an antibody. Function. An antibody is a is a glycoprotein. The yeah. HLA antigen is a glycoprotein. Your your DNA is a glycoprotein. So people are going to be looking that up now. Which, which, you, you should. If you go to drkills.com, yeah. we have a lot of information where to find out about this, but because we have to start adding to the conversation and really understand the true science of the human body. And does insulin go up in exercise? If you're, if you've been fasting for five days and you have nothing in your bowels, does insulin go up? Well, I would imagine it would. I've never measured it. It doesn't. I bet it doesn't because insulin is a digestive Ah, yeah. It's for digestion. So if you have nothing in your gut, see, yes, this is the part that people have to understand. The liver's function is to make fat. Yeah, I'm going to I'll expand on that as well, because you're right, because if you look at uh, experiments about insulin and you have IV glucose that doesn't go through the small intestine, doesn't go through the brush border, and doesn't uh, stimulate the incretin hormones, you do not get insulin going up, even though you've got more glucose in your system. That, that's definitely if you, a if you do study what? I've seen. Well, if, if, you, fact. If, you are, if you have an IV of glucose, yes, you, uh, you do not get an insulin response compared to or nowhere near as good as if you eat the same amount of glucose because it enters your small intestine the brush but you still get up. insulin insulin goes up insulin. yeah it goes yeah. up yes yeah. so yeah. when you eat yeah. it yeah definitely yeah and, and insulin's supposed to spike when you eat mm. glucose is supposed to spike when you eat we're not yeah. supposed to have this like flat line of sugar levels my sister marianne died of diabetes at 52 she had it since age four and i can tell you the simple is this idea that we're we're, we're going to manage your sugar levels by keeping them level which is why they tell people to eat four to six meals a day and be on an insulin pump those two things are deadly for for anyone and and think of diabetes type one is pancreatic damage and type 2 diabetes is liver damage. 
That's how you define diabetes. And insulin resistance is liver damage. And that's like the simplest concepts. And we have to get to simplicity in science because we're confusing 99% of people. And even doctors are confused. They don't even know how to understand most of this stuff. Yes. Um, let's. Thank you. By the way, because we didn't do this properly because I was having these issues with my technology. But thank you, Robert Kiltz, for turning up. We're 40 minutes in as I'm just doing a nice thank you, by the way. Um, we've got a few questions. I'd love to just do a quick whistle stop. Um, TFC Locks wanted to ask this quickly, and I'm sorry, this was way back <laughs> five minutes into the interview. But anyway, wanted to ask this quickly. Did three days of lean meats, just the day where I went back to a fatty day, I don't know, but I could eat so much and still wasn't full, like 6,000 plus calories. Is that normal after three days? She's saying that, or he's saying that, that three days of lean meat, they can eat so much. Yeah, that's what they're saying. They did three days of lean meats, but then when you went back to fatty meats, you could still eat 6,000 calories. Yeah, and I would say that's pretty normal because the fat part is the the satiety signals are hit more by the fatty part, and you've been reducing the fat for three days, and so your body was probably trying to get as much fat in as possible. That's a real basic answer from me. See, I I always think about the fact that we eat lean meat and we eat plants. And and again, we probably didn't eat the lean meat. We ate the plants. And I think it's similar because it all turns into sugar. That's the time of the of the fall when your body says get fat. And so you've got uh, high insulin levels. The bears do it. Many other animals do it. They just eat and eat, eat to gain the fat to survive the winter. So that's why you're pushed to eat and eat and eat. You can eat 6,000 or 20,000 calories at a time. When you eat fat, it says, hey, there's plenty of food around and I don't need to eat and eat and eat. And so I don't need to. I'm, my, my, my satiety is is. Uh, is reached quickly quickly richard do you want to quickly i've never known richard I moved it again <laughs> well it's uh, yeah it um i think you know a lot of the listeners have, have popped on today to listen to to dr kilts's expertise uh and rightly so so yeah let's uh you know g- give him the stage today but uh, yeah it's um that's the um, point. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, something I notice when I when I eat. So I do uh, implement leaner days occasionally. When so when I used to compete professionally, for example, um, it would be uh, purely aesthetics. I would need to lose a lot of body weight, so I would reduce the amount of dietary fat that I would consume. So my body would naturally flick the switch from dietary fat into body fat, and that's how I would lean up for competition. Um, and that, that's one of the blocks, I think, the stumbling blocks that many of us within the keto carnival community um, fall on or stumble upon in regards to losing weight. You know, we you can overeat fat on a ketogenic uh, diet. It is incredibly difficult, especially when you're eating it from natural sources. But what we find is a lot of people will supplement with, and I say supplement, they, they will add lots of double cream to their coffee and eat um, lots of cheese and and it is a way to slow down and, and even stall on keto although the biggest one is usually the lectins um, the, the foods that contain lectins on a ketogenic lifestyle things like uh, tomatoes bell peppers because the lectins will bind to insulin receptors and signal the body to store up to five times more fat than the caloric value uh, you know if, if we are going back to the calories thing um, 
compared to the, that impact of just insulin alone. But um, but reducing fat is is a is a tool that I would implement in order to cut down to two percent body fat for competition, which is ridiculously low and not healthy. And I wouldn't re- recommend anybody do that unless they are competing. Um, but that is something I used to do. And when it came back to eating normal again, and by normal I mean a nice fatty cut of, of steak, for example, uh, I would find that I could eat a lot more. And I think that is the case that um, these fats release the society signals uh, to say that we've eaten and to say that we're full, which we don't get uh, so much on lean cuts. So it can lead to, to over-consuming, so it is something you need to be careful of. But it um, it is something that I, I, do, I do practice occasionally. I haven't gravitated to lean cuts for a long time. Um, I'm not bodybuilding anymore, uh, although I am running and cycling. So weight is an issue. Obviously, I want to be the power to weight ratio is really important. I want to be light on my feet so I can be as quick as possible. I want to have that power to weight ratio on the bike. Um, but I find that I don't need to 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 track or do anything. Uh, I don't I don't even track my protein. Um, I I don't recommend tracking at all anymore um eat to satiety you know unless you've got a, a specific goal in mind then i don't think there's any need to, to track anything eat sure. intuitively uh, yeah. eat as nature intended listen listen to your body it's listen smart it's, it's smarter than most doctors anyway most doctors dr kill but no no, no no god bless you no i agree with you i agree with you look at look but but our bodies want you to be fat yeah. So, 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 so look at the idea is that everyone wants to lose weight because being fat is natural and normal, but because the, the availability of food is so great and, and, um, lean meat by the way is less calories than fatty meat. So when you eat lean meat, you're, you're getting less calories in. And it takes a tremendous amount of 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 mental fortitude to really focus on what we're talking about in health and wellness and leaning out and exercising every day and doing all these things. It's not sustainable for 99 percent of people. That is the problem, because if it was sustainable, everyone would be lean and strong because the number of people that go to exercise is is greater than ever before. The number of people that go on a diet and they go on a low calorie diet so often is just not doing it because we've we've all got it wrong. And if we as as Richard said here, fatty meat, you do it and like, wow, I'm not hungry anymore. And if we can push, if we can help people get more to one meal a day, that's the other healthiest thing because they get more fasting and reduce caloric intake. That's where you get more longevity for sure. Cool. So we got, uh, I'm going to be a bit brusque with a few of the comments. Just want to make sure everyone gets their, um, their uh, comment read if that's possible. So there you go. Yes. Copper's kitchen. Uh, Greetings from Alaska. Dr. K, your your pottery is beautiful. I'm getting a feeling this next question might be a Welsh word or something. I think I know what this means. But anyway, Richard, does Dr. Kiltz, this is from Carl, know what a CWTCH is? A kutch. Do you know yeah. what a kutch is, Dr. Kiltz? A what? A kutch. I do. Yeah. A kutch is a cuddle or a hug, if you like, a kutch. Oh, my God. I'm a huggler. I'm a huggler. So my office for years, we'd get the whole team and we do a huggle. And uh, it's we did. We've done those for years. And and huggling is critical because human beings are are their touch 
organisms. Touch is critical for survival. Without it, we're dead. And that's mm. why our emotions require that. And and that's something we need to spend more time is is um, touching each other in a more loving, kind, generous ways. And hugs are great. My, my, my father used to hug and kiss me all the time growing up, Italian background. And I think that nowadays you can't touch anyone. Oh my God, they touched me. But, but I think that if we, uh, 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 how do you pronounce it? Kutch? Kutch. 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 I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. I'm gonna, I, I want to add something that might make me tear up a little bit. It was actually when I was doing my physiology degree and they were looking at the importance of touch because it was health sciences and the importance of touch. And they did a, uh, an experiment with some animals and um, I didn't like watching this, but, but it proved the point. Uh, basically, one animal was given, uh, taken away from the mother, but there was like a, a cage it could go into with this metal framework, which was in the shape of a mother. Uh, I can't remember the animal. The wire rhesus monkey experiment. Uh, where they're wire rhesus monkeys and basically an, 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 an infant a monkey that was raised on a, on a wire rhesus monkey was was uh, depleted and unhealthy. And the one raised with the mom was healthy and vibrant. And that's the same thing with us humans, if, as you're saying. Yeah, and th- that's it. And the other experiment they did, um, which I thought was fascinating, and this is the bit that got me, was was the monkey was offered one cage with food and one case with a hug. Yeah. And it went for the hug. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing, actually. Yes, and I have got a little bit. Anyway. And that's a good point, actually, you just said, because if we spend more time with without the devices and more with our partners, our friends, our families, but but in a way that is more intimate. And intimacy doesn't require sex, by the way. It just requires uh, camaraderie and kindness and, and, and connections. And my buddies, you know, and I were, were, were constantly getting together in a way that that is always connecting and in, in touch. And, and that's the thing that I think we need to do more of. You said about devices as well, right? Um, I've I've decided this week to go back into the gym to train rather than train at home for the social context and this sort of stuff. But I haven't been in the gym for a long time. And I think guys are 20 think being in the gym is doing this exercise. Because I wanted to kick so many people off machines and say, look, buddy, if you're doing shoulders, do a rep. Don't sit on your phone. For uh, literally like five minutes. Well, we're good to yeah. that. Anyway, right, let's get yeah, into um, I'm doing a good segue here, by the way. I'm trying to be all professional. Uh, can you read that name out for me, Richard? Because I always struggle with mics. Promo Mike. This is a nice question because I think overtraining is also, and getting obsessed, and Dr. Kiltz mentioned this earlier about training too much, but it's a good question. Is it possible to be overtrained and not feel fatigue in the muscles? If so, how do you assess overtraining status? My best friend, Dave. Uh, was a major exerciser, and I believe his overexercise contributed to his cancer development. 
I believe that like any other car or, or, or organism, the more it, the more miles you put on a Ferrari in a short amount of time, it will just stop working. You may not be able to measure it until it just stops and gets damaged and falls apart or you drop dead. And that's the problem. There's science in medicine is not very good at predicting things. I mean, I can predict things reasonably well because I know the general human body. And but but if I were to put money on it, we're not very good at it. And that's the problem. So I just say I've got five things that cause all major disease inflammation. And the fifth one is excessive exercise. So. Uh, when you're younger, again, uh, you know, I'm, I do, I don't do a lot of exercise anymore because it, it hurt me and I just don't do it anymore. Do light stuff, light weights. And, uh, but it, there's not a way to predict it. Um, it's going to happen. I don't care who you are. But you look pretty jacked, to be honest. And I think that's nutrition, isn't it? Because you, well, you're on well, point. It's, it's, it is nutrition and it's, I do light weights. I do light weights a little bit. I do push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, and get-ups. So I do maybe five, three, five, uh, three reps of five pull-ups a day. If I'm at the office, I do maybe a few 20 reps of push-ups and that's it. And I, I get on my bike a little bit, but not a lot. And I stay off the street because the last time I went, I fell. Cool. Okay. Um, there's some nice points here. I want to put them up on the board just very quickly. And, and nutrition, I think, is the, the game changer. That That is absolutely it, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the, again, this is for people thinking, oh, I can get away with no exercise. You've got to move. If you don't move, if you sit in a chair and you've got perfect nutrition and you don't move – you're not going to be able to move. You've, you've got to keep, you've got to keep ticking over. You have got to do things. You have got to get out of your chair. You've got to walk. You've got to do that sort of stuff. Go to work uh, every day. Yeah. Go to work. T- TFC locks. If we look at dogs, though, they can't handle high fat. So their ratios are much leaner than humans on carnivore. Wouldn't dogs then have more glycation because of their high-protein diet? It's a good question. Okay, so dogs and cats are fed a standard diet of plants and protein and lean meat. So if you look at – I just recently looked at a study where they fed a group of cows 30% of the calories out of fat, and they died. They died fast because the fat suppresses the microbes in the gut. And and that damaged them. It number one, it released the toxins, but also they couldn't eat, they couldn't digest their food because it's all plants. Now in dogs and cats, which are domesticated lions and wolves, which should be eating a raw fatty meat diet, you can't do an experiment on a dog and cat with a high fat diet and think you're going to solve the answer because you got to heal them first, just like you and I, if we right away, we go from standard keto to carnivore, we have diarrhea. We may have lots of other problems, but if you allow your gut and the dog's gut to heal the glycocalyx to heal, then you can, you could feed them the standard raw fatty meat diet that they probably consumed in the wild. And so glycation is, is glycation, glycosylation. Again, it happens to all of us in some way. There's never zero of any of this stuff. It's just a matter of more or less, depending on how much sugars are floating around your body. 
Yeah, and I think that's why I wanted to show my ketone readings, just how dynamic it is. Yeah. I mean, it's dynamic. It's and not sugar dynamic. levels and glucose levels. Again, glucose levels go up and down based on things we don't even understand. That's my bet. Well, uh, yeah, and also in, in concert with the uh, ketones, because people say to me, my, keto, my ketones are low, but my glucose goes up, and, and they don't like my answer. I say, well, that's what your body decided was good for you at that moment that you took your blood. And I guarantee if an hour later you took it, it would be different. So you're going to ask me to answer every single hour because it depends on your situation. Acetyl-CoA is a ketone body. Acetyl-CoA is the precursor for, for ATP in the TCA cycle. It comes directly from fatty acids. So you always have ketones in your body, in your bloodstream. It's just a matter, a matter of how much sugar you have. Remember the, K, mm. the, the glycoketo, the index, right? Remember, if or think about it, if you never ate plants or you ate just a standard fatty meat diet and you ate once a week or twice a week or whatever it is, all everything we're talking about would be irrelevant. We're talking about a poisonous plant based diet that's killing the human race, but it's killing us, even though the, we're proliferating in massive numbers, it's killing us because of our medical system that we can't afford it. And plus, medicines don't help us live longer. They just maybe help us feel like we feel good and don't have symptoms. I call it we're drugged. We're drugged. We're drugged by the plants, heroin, cocaine, marijuana. Sugar is a drug, by the way. Plant sugars are a drug. So when we measure glucose in your body, that might be the same molecule, but it's different because if your body's making it, that's not the same thing of a plant sugar that you ate, which makes you feel good, which is not good for you. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Robert. Sorry. Um, Tanya's got a very basic question here. So we're going to get away from science for a bit. Oh, maybe we'll come back to it. Uh, been carnivore since April. Feels great. That's good. Lost seven pounds so far, but been on a stall for over two months. 52 years old, female, post-hysterectomy, five foot two, eyes are blue, and 135 pounds. Uh, how do I lose the last five to 10 pounds of belly menopausal weight? Eat less, move more. Get walking, get into the gym, uh, get get lifting if you really want to do that and eat leaner meat for the short term. Look at Marie Emmerich's stuff on protein uh, sparing diet, which is weight loss. Maria really focuses on weight loss, I think. And so if you really want to lose them, you got to eat less, move more. And you got to focus on the vision of what you want it to look like. Stop weighing yourself. The more you just focus on the vision, vision boarding. If you haven't done a vision board, you know, find that body that you want it to look like and go at it and keep moving at it. But the hardest part is, is the, that being skinny is not what your body wants. Anyway, you guys probably deal with this more than I do. I make babies. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Michael is saying, uh, while eating carnivore, to get you into autophagy, or do you need to fast for that? I understand autophagy starts at about hour 30 of fasting. Thank you in advance. The okay. answer this is going to depend when you looked at the studies, I think. Okay, well. So autophagy is always happening. Yes. Your cells are always cleaning up uh, dead, dying, damaged, or 
cells that just aren't necessary anymore, or parts of a cell that need to be. By the way, we recycle molecules in your body. So it's like, well, I didn't get amino acids or I didn't get all this stuff. It's because your body is recycling and using these things for the function of its body. But essentially, the think of think of the damage to your body is due to due to plants and protein. Now, you have to eat to be alive. So you must eat essential amino acids, which are in the, the, or the meat you eat, which fatty meat. So you must eat that. But if you the plants are damaging your body, so they're making the damaged cells go up while you're trying to clean up. Well, the damage is happening more than you're able to clean it up. So the less damage you have by fasting, it's able to clean it up. And then you notice the difference. But you're always burning fat. You're always in autophagy. It never stops. Now, I do agree that I think two, three, and up to five-day fasting is really what you want to do in order to feel what fasting is. Fasting, I believe, is an empty gut. But we use fasting as a time frame of not eating. Oh, gee, I didn't, I didn't eat for you know eight hours. Well, that's not fasting. Fasting, true fasting, is an empty gut. So that means there's no more amino acids or simple sugars or fatty acids being put into your bloodstream, which goes to the liver. And, and so the, the autophagy is always happening. You're just noticing it more because you get brain clarity and gee, all those, those aches and pains seem to be going away. A two day fasting is a good start, but um, go to three to five day fasting, at least a couple times a year. I think it's good. Yeah. Nice practical answer. I mean, just, just to sort of, put a little lid on that. I mean, I started when I did that 48 hour fast, I had a meal before that. So I didn't, I didn't instantly go into a fasted state when I pressed start on my app. You know, I, I was fueled. That's the thing. You're, you're, you eat something and that's fuel for you and it's going to be in your stomach and it's going to be transiting through you. So anyway, yes. Uh, right. So just try and get people to look at all these things a little bit differently. And a high fiber plant-based diet is going to be in there longer, <laughs> yes, much longer. And so that's why it's so deadly for us. Yeah. And just, right. just to add to that really quickly, it um, yeah. being ketogenic and living a ketogenic lifestyle still elicits the benefits of autophagy, mitophagy, brown fat activation and lipolysis. So when we live in a ketogenic lifestyle, we still get the benefits of this, this fasted state. Um, yeah, I would argue that there are further benefits to extended fasting, but just by being ketogenic, we are we are seeing those benefits. And this is why I would come back to eating intuitively. Uh, people ask me quite often, do I fast? I don't look at it as fasting. I just eat when I'm hungry. Yet, mm -hmm. when I look at the last time I consumed a meal, it may have been 18 or 20 hours ago, but I don't look at that as an 18 or 20 hour fast. I've just been eating intuitively. Uh, I haven't eaten because I'm not hungry. If I am hungry, I would eat. But those benefits are still elicited. That benefit of autophagy, mitophagy, lipolysis, and brown fat activation are elicited when we are living that ketogenic lifestyle. So it, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of confusion in regards to fasting, isn't it? What breaks a fast? And I think people get caught up too much in, in into that. You know, it's um, um, uh, 
Serena posted something recently about eating butter while she was fasting. And um, I don't know if you saw that on, on her post, uh, eating a little bit of butter to continue her fast. And the, a lot of people were jumping on the bandwagon. Well, that's going to break a fast. But what 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 is fasting? Well, if you're fasting for autophagy, then we're achieving you know those benefits just by being ketogenic. So it depends on what your goals are. Is it fat loss? Is it health? Um, because we, we are eliciting those health benefits just by being ketogenic anyway. Yeah, when you I eat think, fat, oh, sorry, Stephen. Yeah, I think people overcomplicate it because there's even people saying out there, well, you're fasted if you don't um, spike your insulin or you don't raise your insulin. And I think it's just simpler than that. I, I just think that you're not eating. Like it's like uh, Dr. Kilt said, an empty stomach. Then you are fasted. An empty gut, an empty intestines. Yes, yeah. And, and 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 if you eat fat, it goes to the lymphatics. It doesn't go to the liver. Insulin resistance is liver damage. Type two diabetes is liver damage. That's the simplest answer. No complication here. Insulin's job is to make fat in the liver via amino acids and sugars, and so that's why when you fast. Or even you just eat fat. So the question is, can you eat only fat and 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 be be fasted? And the answer is, according to what we're working to do, which is heal the liver, the liver gets damaged. You you develop fatty liver. And why do we develop fatty liver? Because the job of the liver is to make fat. fat. That's it. And then you get sclerosis, fibrosis, and cirrhosis. And and then you get hepatorenal syndrome, and then you get all the other diseases which are all related to diabetes. And again, it's it's simple. Okay. Uh, Dr. Kilty, you're right to carry on. I know we've gone past yeah. an hour. Yeah. We're good. good. We're good. We're good. I've got a little bit of, uh, I have twenty five minutes left. Okay. And then cool. I become well, a Pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I mean, just one of the things I'm going to say, which is a bit too much information, but in Carnival, we talk about poop and stuff like that. Um, I just did the 48-hour fast because I fancy doing it and, and having some stuff to talk about. And what surprised me, and I spoke to my wife about this, was um, my toilet um, frequency increased dramatically. So I, I was clearing out something. Something was happening. Second day, you know, the, the Boy, you know, it was like three or four times to the toilet, which is so unusual. You know, this is, I'm talking sitting down doing the paperwork type of thing. And it was just incredible. And I hadn't eaten for 24 hours. And I think that just backs up, you know, what Robert was saying about, um, you know, having an empty small intestine, actually, or GI tract, however you want to word it. And one of the interesting things about these new um, uh, uh, medications like Cozempic and Wagovi and that are, they're slowing down the GI tract. Yep. So it, it slows it down and it actually makes it and then supposedly it doesn't absorb as well. So that's something doesn't sound right to me in any of that stuff. And uh, but you're right. Um, you may go a lot more initially. I mean, I did my five day fast in, in, and I literally it was just quite amazing how I actually didn't have a bowel movement for seven days. And then it took another it's three days before I had another one. So it was actually a little longer than that. So it was really kind of the, the idea is we learn a lot in our bodies as it begins to work better on, on keto and and or carnivore nutritional lifestyle. 
Cool. Right. So uh, we got Dr. Kilts for 25 minutes or less, and then he becomes a pumpkin. So Tem Highs says, uh, please, could you ask, uh, please, could you ask, been on Carnival just over a week, where for the last four days, I have one meal a day at 6 p.m., fatty steak and six eggs. Do I have to eat more fatty protein as I'm trying to recover from, I'm assuming, an injury there? I mean, it sounds like you're doing great to me. You know, it's I don't, just don't measure how you're feeling in a week, two or three. And then, you know, this idea of, of how much fat and how much protein, I just don't even know the answer to that because essentially you're getting your essential amino acids and fatty acids and eating meat, red meat, beef, by the way, which has the right amount of uh, omega-6s and omega-3s, which is kind of crazy, even though they eat grass and supposedly that's not but ultimately i think you're fine just see how you feel and then if you want to lose more weight uh or gain weight you know it's it's because there are people that want to gain weight by the way they want to gain fat some people are too skinny eat more fat you might even try my ice cream by the way in that uh and then you'll have a very sensitive liver that's able to make more fat quickly cool Thank you. Uh, Raymond is saying, I'm strict carnival for five years. I eat OMAD five days then do a 48-hour fast most weekends. I train fasted three to five times a week. Are there any downsides to this regime? And it sounds a bit like um, Coach Raymond, doesn't it? It does. It does. But I think that's <laughs> like an amazing, you know, that is the way. I, I, I like a two-day fast once a week. I like a 23-in-one, typically one meal a day. I don't always do it. Sometimes the weekend is my prime days. Like I'm going to do a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday fast this week. So today I'm probably going to prime it up a little bit more some uh, some eggs i got some pork belly and some uh and some ribeye and then uh monday tuesday wednesday i won't i won't eat but i think that's an upside the more of that and three to five times a week you know one to three times a week maybe all you need but i think you know for for the mental side and maybe richard and you both could comment about this the mental side of exercise because there's the too much exercise but then there's the there's the mental quality value that you get with it which is camaraderie and and competing and all those sort of things that i think are very valuable for us that's cool uh Care Bear Cat. Uh, question. Carnivore, five months. Resistance training, two days. Uh, light cardio, 15 minutes. Type 2 diabetes. No meds. AC, oh, A1C coming down. How do I break through a weight loss stall? Eat less, move more. And leaner meat for the for the time being. And in some way cut the fat because fat's twice the calories. Um, but I think you give yourself time, it'll it'll work and your your liver damage will go down and uh, you'll feel better. But remember the job of the liver is to make fat. And and that's why there's the the, the thin uh, type twos, which I think are secondary to more liver damage. And and that's what we're probably seeing a lot more people with a lot more liver damage than we know. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we've. It, it's, this seems to be a common, uh, uh, re- reoccurring question, isn't it, throughout, throughout tonight's uh, episode? Um, and there's a few things. There's a few things to take into account. It isn't just about weight. Body composition changes massively when we start he- eating healthy. We may be burning fat, and we may be building muscle. We may be holding on to more water. I wouldn't get caught too much up on the scale. Um, 
and this is a whole other topic that I think we can go into for, for another hour. So I, I won't go into it too much. But there's something that I wanted to add, uh, which th- this couples very well in regards to the other ones that we that we've been speaking about today, and, and what um, Dr. Kiltz mentioned earlier that the body wants to store fat. There was um, there was a program that I watched a few months ago called Physical 100, uh, based in Korea. I think it was it was uh, 100 um, Korean. Uh, celebrities, I think they were competing to see whose physique was the best. So they had <laughs> world champion bodybuilders, powerlifters, down to you know the, the light, uh, skinny people, and so all different body shapes, weights, and sizes from different professions. Now the guy that won the whole competition was a guy that looked normal. He had a little bit of muscle, but you wouldn't know that he trained if he had a baggy t-shirt on. Um, he wasn't ripped with abs, but he had outlines. So it like washed out almost, if you like. He just looked like a normal guy who looked fit, but had a little bit of fat, but wasn't ripped and shredded to the bone. Now, this is the guy that won this competition, and this was the search for the perfect physical body. And it just goes, and it makes perfect sense because we need to be quick and light to catch our prey. If we're big and too muscly, then we can't, we're not very mobile, but we need that happy medium of being strong. And so the body isn't designed to be ripped and shredded. It's not designed to look like this. We're not meant to be this, you know, the, the, you know it, I, I'm, I'm, I've got abs, I've got veins running through my body, but my body fat percentage now is probably about nine, eight or nine percent. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, I haven't done any weight training for months and months yet. My body still is still maintaining a nice physique. I'm still... My, my abs are washed out, but they're still there. I'm still super fit and healthy, but I'm not in pursuit of this ripped and shredded look because that isn't healthy. And, and I think we, we get bogged down with this, this, this image in our minds of, yeah. of looking a certain way. Our bodies want fat. We need fat on our bodies to a degree. Obviously, excess is too much. So I think we shouldn't get caught up in this pursuit of being incredibly lean either you know there's uh, th- there is a happy medium um so i just thought i'd, I'd put that in there I'd, I'd, i'm conscious yeah. of dr kills this time i don't want to take him too much I just no i'm good i'm good i'm good okay and, and it's not an exact well i'm good so it is interesting that it, you bring this up but it is really the if you eat in a keto carnivore way and you eat less frequently and you do more enjoyment of life rather than making food be your joy, make the function of participating in life be your joy, your body will be what it's meant to be. And if you look at many of the bodybuilders, they're using drugs. They're using supplements that contain the drugs, but they're just not called the drugs. And and again, we're we're duped to believe, but it's all marketing for the same reason that we've been doing for thousands of years. We're all marketing in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing is weight loss and fat loss are two different things as well. So there may be water retention. You might find that actually you're a bit more bloated because you're not having enough salt. There's so many other things. I mean, this isn't medical advice. It's just, you know, general advice. So uh, don't forget to sort of do measurements, look in the mirror, make sure the scale isn't the best thing. I think things like how your clothes fit. Yeah. Basically, the body will find its natural um physiological level where it wants to be it will um 
the body's a clever machine. So some people, another another common thing that I that I get asked is, uh, I'm I've began a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm eating all these foods. I'm eating, you know, uh, until I'm full. Yet I'm losing too much weight. I don't want to lose any more weight. But the body will find its its perfect position. It will find its natural level of homeostasis. If your body is lo- still losing fat, then it's got fat to lose. If your body is holding on to fat, then maybe it doesn't want to lose any more fat. That's not to say that you won't lose it later down the line, but this is a marathon as well. It's not It's not a sprint. Um, so listen to your body, eat healthy, uh, eat as nature intended, and everything else will just fall into place. And I think I when have to four o'clock, I have to four o'clock, by the way. I just got a text message, so just in case. Okay. Um, yeah, and don't forget, if your body's healing... It's not going to prioritize dropping fat off your body. It's going to heal you first. Um, right, let's look at this. Perma Stedon Cooper. <laughs> These names are great. Uh, thoughts on slow burn weight lifting. I do this in order to have the strength to care for heavy patients. Yeah. So posture is very important in that as well, by the way. Also walk at least five to six days a week, which is great. I mean, I think walking is uh, underestimated. Um, slow burn weight lifting. I imagine that's slow yeah, the slow burn. I and, am a and, big fan and, of this. I am and a big there's fan. also just hold in place. <laughs> and how long can you hold it in place? You know, there's lots of ways to do it. Um, and and or it's a band or it's a X bar or it's a weights or it's a human being that you're lifting up and or working in the garden or you're doing something like that. Yeah, I think training for a purpose, you see, you've wonderfully told us what you want it for. Moving heavy patients is not looking for short, explosive movements. It's looking for slow, steady movements. Um, I can't stress enough that posture is also really important, making sure that, uh, you know, your feet are in the right position. Remember that you know, you, if, you, if you put your feet together and you, have, you try to balance and do something with your feet close together, or if they're wide apart, you've got that much sturdier um, base to work from. So uh, thoughts for me, yes, um, Robert Kiltz here loves it. I love it. Um, yeah, and I especially, especially for what you want want to do. You see, if you're spree, if you want to sprint, then you do have to incorporate some short, fast, explosive movements. But uh, for what you want to do, I think it's great. Yeah, eccentric movements. That, that's what um, I tend to teach: is these slow eccentric movements yeah. with, with pauses. Um, uh, lighter weights for training. Uh, heavier weights causes damage. Um, go for the lighter weights. Lose your ego. Leave your ego yeah. at the door. Lift those lighter weights. Uh, eccentric movements. Um, and don't overtrain. Uh, and this is why I, I tell people they shouldn't train mm-hmm. longer than forty-five minutes to an hour because of the elevation in cortisol. And this is where we see all the negative effects of training. So if you are going to train, short and sharp is best. Which is counterintuitive to what I'm doing in regards to running and cycling but that is in order to, to achieve a goal um can i ask a question rich sorry and i think the people why people like this live stream i think is because we don't always agree on everything we actually talk about stuff that we don't quite get so you said lightweights but the person is training to miss te- to move heavyweights yes but you can still you still build muscle and strength by lifting lightweights the, the eccentric movements we're stronger on the eccentric movement than we are on the concentric so if we can't Concentrate on lifting, for example, on the bench press. If we lift, if we if we count five seconds down and hold for one to two, and then do one to two up, we actually become stronger. So that actually builds strength through lifting the lighter weights. But the heavier weights, if you do that, are going to cause damage a lot more quickly. Uh, and something I am highly familiar with, unfortunately. Stick to the lighter weights, eccentric movements, control your movement, time under tension, as Doctor Kill said. Um, leave your ego at the door. You're only going to get injured. Get some help. 
And get some help. Get some help. Yeah, but that is actually really important because very important. I do lower back rehab, and I tell you what, once a month, at least one person comes in who is a nurse and try to move someone on their own when they should have two people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Nurses are amazing. They're asked to do more than than most of us human beings could do, and uh, teamwork is critical. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's get into the next question. Uh, and by the I, way, thank you very much for inviting me today. I'm really having a great time and inspired by both of you and all the great questions and people uh, joining in. Absolute yeah. honor to have you, Dr. Kilsa. I think it, uh, and everyone will agree, it, it's absolutely fantastic. And credit to you for coming on. It, um, no, I've been super excited and absolute pleasure. So th- thank you. Pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Um, Behind you, Rob, is why is that picture? Is that a picture of you behind you? Oh, oh, oh! The book, uh, the big okay, book. Okay, okay, a little, a little bit of marketing. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was not pre-planned. Uh, I wasn't pre-planned. It, 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 this is our our new Kiltz's Keto was carnivore. Previously, my books focused on talking about keto, and I still talk a lot about keto. But I want to make sure that that um, you know people get a chance to know that we have a book on Amazon. Uh, they can go to our website, drkills.com. We have a cookbook. Actually, I did with Marie Emmerich. You have to go to our website for. Uh, I, you know, I keep really simple though i don't like complicated anymore you know I, if it's a recipe i just i can't do it <laughs> yeah. it's, it's more than one one simple product like like a steak and okay like salt and butter i'll do that yes, and that, yes. that's what led me into keto was yeah. laziness through nothing <laughs> and that's where i discovered that veg was actually causing many issues within my body because i came from a heavily keto-based background with eating lots of kale and spinach. Yes, I felt healthier than I was prior to that. But when I removed cooking that vegetable for, 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 for laziness, for convenience, because it takes two minutes for me to fry a steak, chuck a steak in the pan, and that's all I ate for six months. Yep. And I felt the healthiest that I had ever felt in my life. And it's through that and investigating where are my vitamins and minerals coming from? Because we believe that plants are a good source of vitamins and minerals. Plants are a very poor source of vitamins and minerals. They're meat, toxic chemicals. chemicals. And lots of toxic chemicals, phytolexins, plant toxins, lectins, ox- oxalates, etc. The list goes on and on. Hundreds of toxic chemicals. Um, and they taste horrible. And they taste. <laughs> yeah. Unless you put garlic and salt and speed. You know, the problem is if you think about the the cultures of the world use a tremendous number of spices in order to probably make their food even palatable. And, and that's a problem. Which cause yes. issues in the, in their own respect, these spices. Yes. So, yeah. It, um, let, let, let's get, Go on, sorry. Let, away. Let's do a couple of questions because uh, Robert's kindly said she can, it can stay a bit longer. Lee Jackson. Now, this is such a broad question. I reckon we're going to get some very short answers. I know my one-word answer for this. Can your body recover from past lifestyles while keto, carnivore, and fasting? I think this was Richard's first real question is absolutely. And, and you know, this there's even if you think it can't or someone says, oh, you never heal from that. People say, oh, you're not get pregnant. I put people on carnivore and they get pregnant in their 40s. And so always, always think of it as a yes. Mm. Yeah, we're all, we're all going. Yes. So people, yeah, I've, I've, got a slightly, okay. I've got a two word answer to that one. And it's um, most definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. well done. <laughs> Here's a nice one from Cammy. Good to see Cammy. Doesn't the liver make glucose as well? 
Of course it does. Yeah. But but you see the 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 problem is once again we're focusing on glucose. I just want you to stop focusing yeah. on glucose completely. Glucose is critical for glycosylation, mannose, xylose, N-acetylglucosamine, N-acetylgalactosamine, fucose. So just look at um, the glycobiome, the glycobiology. It's quite amazing. But uh, your liver makes it. Your cells, I don't think, make it. I think the liver does. This is the interesting part. Um, and, you know, if you think of all of our patients that are got liver failure, what are we feeding them? We're feeding them a plant-based, we're going to call it a low-protein diet, right? Because we don't want them to get uh, the 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 uh, neurotoxicity from the proteins, by the way. Um, I, I got one, one interesting thing to show you, which is kind of an addition. I, I burnt my finger last night, and um, it blistered. And I cut it open to to let the, the the fluid out. It's been draining fluid all day. Why is it draining fluid? Because the skin is a sugar coating. The sugar coating is the glycocalyx that protects my 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 body. And once I once I damaged it. Now the fluids don't have a sealant to keep it in place and it's leaking fluids. Just a side note. Cool. Uh, yes. Did you want to add? No, we don't. Let's, let's I mean, gly- glucose is for glycosylation. It's not for energy. If we just get to that simple point, glucose is for glycosylation. And without glycosylation, you cannot move. You will die straight away. So when we think it's energy, it's just the body's moving because it needs glycosylation. Love that. Yes. Now, Michael here, I'm not sure if this is uh, a typo, but I'm going to accept that he's saying 30 days of fasting. So I was under the impression through research autophagy goes into overdrive after 30 days of fasting. I fasted for 40 days, no food, only salts on the water. Amazing transformation. Now I do 36 to 72. I mean, that's an incredibly extended Enjoy. fast. <laughs> That that is not normal, natural for humans. Now, I would say that is a hibernating animal, and, and humans likely through hibernation and winterization, uh, or nesting, uh, but whatever it is through through famine, you can do it, but it's not recommended. No, I would never attempt that in a million years. So, no. but uh, but it depends how much fat you carry in your body. Again. Oh, yeah. That is the fuel. And yeah. and you lower your metabolism, you you rest more, but you don't have to even do that. So that's basically saying, again, you, you don't need to eat a bunch of, of, of food in order to survive. We need to eat a lot, lot, lot less. That's really, I think, the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, the longest fast, the Guinness Book of World Records, is 382 days. So obviously capable. But that person was incredibly overweight and had a lot of body fat. So, um, yeah, right. Do, do you want to ask anything, Rich? Or yeah, on, only, only really quickly. So um, uh, Ben Azadi and I did uh, a podcast on fasting last year or the, or the year prior. And, and this was one of the questions on there. What is the maximum amount of, uh, of, of days to fast? And he mentioned um, something called max autophagy, which for a normal person, um, to his recommendation, would take about ten, uh, sorry, five days to achieve. If you were living a carnivore ketogenic lifestyle, you can achieve this in two to three days. So I would dare argue that maybe two to three days is 
the state of max autophagy. I don't see any benefit to doing 30 days. Kudos for you for doing so. Um, I don't think I could achieve 30 days. I don't think my body contains enough fat to do 30 days. Um, 72 for me is it seems to be uh, optimal. That's what I seem to get you know, the, the most benefit. And that is something that I will only do maybe two times a year. 48, mm. 24s I throw in quite regular, but a 72 I throw how, in under two times. How do you a year. measure autophagy? Um, yeah, well, again, so he mentions, um, I, you know, I can't remember the metric between it. It's, it's measuring two metrics. I'll have to go back and look at the data. But yeah, again, how is how do you measure? You know, um, I know we see differences in increases in human growth and testosterone at different points. And it depends, I guess, on what, what you're looking to achieve. And as you say, how do you actually, is there a measurement to say, is there an autophagy meter? You know, it, it, I'm yeah, I'm not aware of one, but it um he does use a metric, I, I believe, isn't it? Um I can't remember what that metric is. I'll have to go back. I'll have to take a look at it. Look. Yeah. But um but yeah, but I, I don't think we need to do 30 days. And and if you look at bears and many other animals that fast for even longer than that, they maintain muscle mass, bone mass, they lose fat. Because in every fat cell, you contain all the minerals, vitamins, amino acids, and sugars that are required for your survival. Remember, a fat cell, which mm. contains the DNA, the mitochondria, all the other organelles, and it contains amino acids and sugars and all the minerals and vitamins necessary for you to function fasting. Yeah, I think uh, I'll just add my little bit of phlebotomy, by the way. Uh, I'm not an expert on measuring autophagy, but you can measure levels of a protein LC32, I think it is, if I remember off the top of my head. So that's that's something you measure. And if it's high, then you've got high levels of autophagy. I'm scratching my head, touching my face, because I'm way out of my depth here, because I've never done that test. But I think that's how they do it. Um, one thing I would say, which is a bit more real world and practical for people that haven't done extended fasting, and we're talking about like two to three days and thinking they've never fasted before. That's a long time. I find people tend to say on the second day that it got easier. Yeah. And by the third day, they're really surprised that they're not that hungry. And that as people that have said to me before they started, I can't fast. So if you're looking at that, don't be scared by even some 72 hours. So uh, this is a really great question, right? For food someone. freedom. Food freedom. Food freedom. Total food freedom. freedom. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Day, nice name. I can read that one. Question for Dr. Kiltz. Is it possible to optimize or increase testosterone through meat consumption and anaerobic exercise? Thank you for sharing all your worldly wisdom. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. Well, my testosterone is a lower normal, and I do exactly that. And so I have a low testosterone according to the measurement and the the norms. But I feel great. I, I do plenty of things that you'd say, wow, he's got pretty strong muscles. So I guess the question is, what level should it be? Absolutely. And anyone that has watched this live stream for the last few months will realize that, that I'm banging on about that, going back to phlebotomy. What is optimal? What works for you is what is optimal. And and so now this is where the glandulars might come in, and you know it depends if you're trying to you know pump iron and build be in be in um, uh, some sort of a, a tournament or something uh, on stage, um, then maybe you're going to add some testosterone, which I don't recommend in general. But there are some people that need it because they're super low and and they have other symptoms that are that are factors. Uh, but you know I'm not I'm not um, an expert at that at all. Cool. Thank you. 
Did you actually yeah, did you have something to add? No, I was not. It, it's. I mean, we. This is something that we've we've mentioned a few times, isn't it? That when we live uh, uh, an optimal diet for optimal health and well-being, keto carnivore, for example, these measurements um, can often seem to be low. But insulin, all the hormones in the body seem to be uh, their efficiency is increased. Insulin becomes low uh, when we look at. Um, Thyroid hormone, um, you know, some some women can be uh, classed as hypothyroidism uh, because they have low thyroid, but T- TSH is also low, and TSH in that sort of scenario becomes elevated in order to stimulate thyroid hormone. So in, in that instance, the body, again, has just become more efficient. And I would argue the same uh, is relevant for testosterone. The body just becomes more efficient. We don't need as much within the body. Um, I noticed that when I went carnivore initially, my testosterone increased. Now it's um, it's it's in with, within what they deem to be a normal range. I don't have a problem building muscle. I didn't have a problem building muscle for my entire bodybuilding career. Yet my testosterone is what mo- many would deem to be on the low side. Um, you we need we need testosterone to build muscle. I could not have built muscle without testosterone. My energy's through the roof. My concentration's through the roof. I feel fit and healthy. So these gauges, this this. Um, these levels that we concentrate on, I think we need to come away from because, and this is the reason that, you know, uh, our friend Paul Saladino came away from being carnivore and decided to implement fruits again. Um, and, and again, I think it's, I think it was a mistake. I just think that the body becomes more efficient. We are now um, way more efficient at producing and creating and living and thriving. Uh, we shouldn't be stuck these ranges we don't need to be in a specific range if our testosterone is lower and we're eating these foods and we're healthy then that is where we are meant to be so we shouldn't be concerned with increasing these things and i'm in the normal range i might be at the lower of normal yeah. range yeah. okay so there's the median you know there's all the statistics of of a, of a, of a graph and a, a barcode and all those sort of things so yeah, Who wants you to be normal? You don't want to get into the uh, normal distribution curve. But what I often say to people who don't really get that, I just try and paint them a picture. If you ask somebody, what is the ideal clothing, right? If your environment, so if your environment is a standard American diet or it's carnivore or it's low carb or it's keto or it's Mediterranean, they're all different environments. So if you ask someone in Africa, what is your optimal level of clothing? It's going to be completely different to if you ask an Inuit. Because the environment is completely different. So you can't just say, here is a range of decent clothing from sort of reasonably good in the cold to reasonably good in the heat, because that won't help either of those two people because the environment is completely different. So there's ways of describing data, mean, median, mode, uh, all these standard deviations and all these things. And I'm not getting into it right now, but ultimately if it's in the normal range or normal, if it's not, well, depends how you're feeling, what the problem is. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Stefania, uh, what is the optimal ratio of sodium to potassium? Four to one potassium to sodium. Yeah. I was going to say that. In what? So that's our nature. That's our nature. In our blood, in our food, in from, from the food I'm getting. Uh, again, but but where do you? I mean, like what food? Again, fake food is where they add sodium and potassium. So if you don't eat fake food, but then lots of food. The foods we eat are full of potassium and sodium. So beef, for example, contains around 300 milligrams of potassium to 70 
milligrams of sodium to eat as an I'm trying to simplify it. That's my my point yeah. is is that it's an irrelevant question. Sorry, no, no, I don't mean to direct it, but I never measure any of these things. Why does it? Why does it matter? It, it doesn't it, matter, it, yeah. except if you're eating a standard food, which is mean that scientists have done all these measurements. But you're right. Um, the what's the normal ratio of amino acids to fatty acids? You know, as, even in your blood, how many amino acids are circulating in your bloodstream? What's the level of amino acids? By the way, I don't sure. know that answer. No, you know, because these are these become irrelevant. And, and I and I love this. I'm a scientist, but my I always question the science and say, no, wait a minute, does that make sense? But I don't know that answer. You, you thank you for your answer. Lee, again, uh, can you take glutamine while in ketosis? What is glutamine? It's an amino acid found in all what the What happens to glutamine in the bloodstream, in the liver? Become sure. See, see, this is the thing, isn't it? You see, you're, the question we will fire back is, why do you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, you're, you know, there, there's all these ketone chemicals to make you in ketosis. Well, that's a drug that's not required. You know, we take them because it's the thing to do. But um, glutamine and all the 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 sugar substitutes basically are sugar and yes. amino acids are sugar or they're keto like. So they they become fat, which is OK because you need that. But we're talking about and what, what Richard said is, you know, eat whole foods, eat real foods and focus on that and you'll feel better. We just got a correction. Thank you for that, Robert. We've got a correction from Michael. He he meant thirty hours, not thirty days. Brilliant. Uh, lost sixty three pounds and was very fat. Well, that's good. But there are people out there that think about doing these long term uh, fasts like that. Uh, right. So we've got uh, another question. I think here there wasn't somebody being silly. Um, I wanted to put that up because it might we be like up. silly. And these are really great questions, by the way. These <laughs> they are, the are very good. They are very yeah. good, actually. Um, and, and this is one of the best ways for people in the, our communities of, of humanity is to learn from people like yourselves and myself that we didn't we didn't you know we weren't born in the keto carnival world we learned it through suffering and so all of our experiences are critical for every human being just because I'm an MD is it it doesn't matter I'm just another human being that has experienced something that is radical radical. <laughs> So, uh, no tree says my shower water is green. Will I become the Hulk? Don't drink it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get anywhere near green water. And I think he also said, uh, oh, here we go. Yeah. So I'm going to put them in. I was 189 pounds and I've lost 206. Is that natural? But there you go. Right. Um, You're a live human being. It must be natural. <laughs> yeah. Question for the three of you. And I think I'm very worried about your timing, but okay, Tim Day. Uh, are sodium and potassium nitrates, nitrites found in bacon detrimental to our physiology? Thanks again. So I would, I would, my two panas is that nitrates break down into nitrites. Nitrites produce nitric oxide. Nitric oxide increases longevity. Nit nitrates isn't something that I am afraid of within diet. Um, so, if nitric oxide is 
uh, an important tool for, for longevity in life, then I'm not afraid of eating bacon. There, there are other reasons that I would reduce it, um, and that's to do with the high levels of linoleic acid, although that's another argument for itself because, in essence, it's uh, technically non-oxidized if, uh, if, if it's fresh. But that's a topic for another day. But th- that's my quick and short answer in regards to nitrates. I'm sure Dr. Kiltz would have something to add to that. But, uh, well, well, nitrates, they come from plants, you know, if you think about it, it's it's just the plants. And I agree with you. I don't worry about it. I mean, there's a lot of sugars in, in a lot of cured bacon. So, but if you have it from time to time, there's no harm. And I don't know that I ever worry. I haven't seen someone that I said, oh, your, your, your omega-3s to 6s are off kilter. And this is why you're, you're sick or you had too much pork fat. Uh, that's another good comment that I just don't know the answer to that. I would think it's probably not an issue, but. I don't think some bacon is is the harmful thing for us as long as you're eating the fat. That's the critical part, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Steve, I think you muted. I am muted. Yes. Yes, I feel I feel the same. We didn't intentionally do it. It doesn't work so well when you muted. <laughs> uh Cammy is um very in- Keen to hear you explain the difference between glycation and glycosylation, or however it's built. So glycosylation is the normal binding of a sugar in the endoplasmic reticulum or the Golgi apparatus or in the nucleus. Glycation is abnormal binding of sugars to everything and anything in your body. And the majority of it is is binding to either another sugar, a protein or a fat. So think of glycation like rust and glycosylation is what your body wants to do in order to be hum and be normal. Glycosylation. I don't know anyone in the keto carnivore world that's talking about glycosylation. I think we should arrange a podcast, Dr. Kiltz. What do you think? I would love to do that because it is the game changer. Basically, you die without glycosylation. I would love to get into the weeds. Is why we die. Brilliant. There we are. And my we, sister died of it. I could just, every cancer is caused by glycation, which is um, sugars abnormally binding to our cells or cell structures or hormones or receptors or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I'd cool. love to get into the weeds of that. If, if, if you're open for a podcast, oh, we'll, we'll, this is brilliant. To me, this is one of the most important things that we can help share with people to understand why the standard diets around the globe are killing us and killing our family members, by the way. That's really it. And when I talk to doctors, young doctors of any age, and I'm like, well, you're feeding in the hospital your family members or your friends' family members or whoever they are, a plant-based diet after you've just given them insulin and you're keeping them sick. Why do that? Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, one of the things I talk about. Just going on to um, glycation is why the A one C for some carnivores goes up, even though their average blood glucose goes down and um, their fasted insulin goes down, their fasted glucose goes down. That's because the red blood cells last longer. And just to tie into what you just said about where glycosylation happens, also the reticular sites, that's what you measure to prove that your red blood cells are lasting longer. 
and it isn't glycation that your uh, spleen is worried about. It's all the other damage as well. well it's your liver. It's also your liver. So if your hemoglobin A1C is still high, you still have liver damage to heal. You see, many people who are coming onto the keto carnivore world still have a lot of liver damage. And so that means they're not able to convert the sugars to fat fast enough. So even though, again, even though your sugar levels are in the normal limits, they're still higher than they should be on an average basis. Because we're only measuring a spot sugar levels anyway, which I don't think is very common, but very helpful. Um, I think it's really incredible. The simplicity of this story. Insulin's function is not to store fat is to make fat. Your um, round table, Rich, can I come in on this? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't mind, because I've got questions as well. So that's, that's quite cool. Um, Right. Well, I think actually, believe it or not, we've caught right up. Uh, oh, hang on. No, we've got one more here. Can you see uh, the questions? Yes, I can. Yeah. To prevent dehydration, should we limit the amount of water we drink so that sodium is not depleted quick, or is it better to drink water with salt? So this well, is- if, yeah. if you look at Laszlo Boros' stuff on deuterium and metabolic water, I mean, basically, how does a bear go five to six months without drinking water, without peeing um, and without eating uh, or pooping? It, it's because we make metabolic water, because when you when you make ATP, you make CO2 and H2O. And you're making it from fat, not from amino acids, proteins, or sugars at all. You're making it all from fat. And so if you're drinking water, you likely should be drinking a mineral water with salts in it in order to not um, uh, dilute your your stomach acids, dilute your bloodstream, the normal amino acids and the normal sugars and the normal proteins, the glycoproteins and all the 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 um, the hormone hormones or other enzymatic uh, proteins glycoproteins in there don't function as well and so that's probably it and uh too much water can kill you uh mm. and most of it is because it dilutes out your your system your brain um that's where you have many other neurologic disorders and functional disorders and puts your blood pressure up <laughs> And and it, and it might be a good thing if you're hypo, uh, you know, you have low blood hypovolemic and you have a low blood pressure. And the interesting, there's been some studies on on surgeries and anesthesia that we're probably giving people too much fluids during surgery. We should mm. give them a lot less fluids. And, mm. and again, we're telling people to even fast before surgery, which is not necessary. But I probably I believe it's still, it's still probably a val- valuable thing uh, for for. Uh, ketosis. If you're in ketosis, that means your sugar levels are lower, which is going to be healthier for your healing process. Mm. But unfortunately, what do we give people throughout their surgery or their post-op? They give them glucose water, intravenous. Right. Well, I, I think we should wrap up. 
because yeah. we got to the end of the questions. I think you've gone way over your time, which is really good, uh, Robert. Thank you so much for that. Well, I have I have a doc uh, friend coming to visit me, and and we we talk we banter over keto and carnivore stuff. And he had he had cancer at one point, and um, and uh, I think it goes back to that same thing that uh, all of our cancers are caused by the standard diets. Keto helps, carnivore helps, fasting helps. Uh, those are all really amazing things. But uh, I've got some steak and um, some pork, some beef ribs uh, that I that I, I cooked up uh, uh, black and blue and really rare raw. And uh, we'll we'll throw some butter on them, maybe and salt, and enjoy those. Stephen and I are on our way. Yeah, you guys are invited. <laughs> and <laughs> and all of Robert's links will be in the description. They're not at the moment, but um, I'll put them in later. And then um, if you want to get hold of Dr. Kiltz or you want to buy his new book or you want to find out about his recipes or join his tribe, then it's all in the descriptions. And we appreciate everything you guys are doing because I think the more people connect, the more we spread the word uh, how keto, carnivore, and fasting are really the, such important things for health and wellness. And this is not a medical advice uh, podcast. It's it's a human advice podcast. We're giving from our human experiences that I've you've seen, I've seen, we've all seen improve and and we're realizing that you don't have to have an MDDONPPA. You don't have to have a degree in medicine. Uh, he's just sharing what what our grandmothers and great grandmothers probably knew already. Spot yeah, on. that's very true. Right, I'm going to press end broadcast. So thanks everybody. Don't forget to like and subscribe, comment, and if you've got any questions, if uh, Richard is going to do another podcast with Doctor Kiltz, put those questions in the comments. You know. We'll do that with the three of us, as you say. We'll do it. Yeah, uh, yeah if you don't mind. I yeah, think sure. I, I felt like I invited myself there, but, uh, you know. No, but when I said me, I meant us anyway. But, yeah, fantastic. Okay. I'll, anyway. I'll send some some references that take a look at and see what you think, and then we can communicate and talk about all these things. And uh, Brilliant. Yeah, all disease, most every disease is caused by defects in glycosylation. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.